0: You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Tuesday Takeout Outtake Especial, handheld mics for everyone. I'm Major Garrett. We're at Kith and Kin, which is part of the Intercontinental Hotel on the waterfront of Washington, D.C., joined by our longtime special guest who was with us the whole first part of the show. Well, part of the regular show, of course. Dorothy Butler Gilliam. Also, we're joined, and I'm delighted to meet you, the chef here at Kith and Kim, Kwame Onwache. Yes. This is an Afro Caribbean inspired restaurant. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for coming. It's, it's an great honor. for us to be here. Lunch was spectacular. Lunch. I'm just about halfway through. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your experience. You've got a new book, Notes from a Young Black Chef. Mm-hmm. Your story is. Like a lot of people's stories, complicated, not always marked with
1: universal success, some failures that taught you some lessons, right? Absolutely. I think that's what life is about, right? Mm-hmm. It's about the ups and downs, and you can celebrate uh, or learn how to appreciate the good times when you go through the bad times. First of all, how old times. are you? I'm 29 years old. Okay. And mm-hmm. so you've
0: already had a restaurant launch, a restaurant fail, and mm-hmm. a, lo- a restaurant relaunch. That's a lot
1: for someone of your age, if I understand the industry well. Mm-hmm.
0: How'd that all happen?
1: Uh Well, you know, I got an opportunity to open the restaurant in my dreams. I did uh, pop-ups around the, the world for about two years, meaning I would take a space and turn it into a restaurant um, for about two to three nights. And uh, I stopped in D.C. a couple times and met some investors and we hit it off. So we opened a restaurant um, that lasted, you know, a little under three months. Um, but from there, you know, I had people around me that believed in me more than I believed in myself. So... It was, um, it was a process of getting back on your feet and continuing to, to go and thrive. But what did
0: that failure teach you?
1: To pick my partners better. Okay. You know, it's really important, you know, that the people that you're going into business with, um, they understand that it's like a marriage. You know, there will be ups, there will be downs. Um, but you need to push through in order to get to the successful times.
0: Right. And that's uh, applicable, Dorothy, in all manner of existence. Absolutely. Um, Pick your friends, pick your investors, pick your partners, whatever. Um, And I want to ask you, Kwame, about this restaurant. What's working here? Mm -hmm. What's your mission? Mm -hmm. What's your vision? Because that's, as I understand it, a huge part of what a chef brings
1: and what the chef, male or female, communicates to the customers. Mm -hmm. You know for me, my philosophy is that a dish should tell a story. And if a dish tells a story, it usually it has a soul, you know, and it resonates with people. And, you know, that's one of the defining factors of Kith and Kin. We have four pillars of cuisine here, Jamaican, Nigerian, Trinidadian, and Creole. And that's all what my family is made up of. You know, we come from four different places around, around the world. All of them have really, really good food, luckily for me. And, um, I'm, I want to continue to push that narrative and have a place where the inaudible in the culinary industry, people that have been inaudible have a place to celebrate their culture while celebrating a special experience.
0: When you say inaudible, what do you mean?
1: Underrepresented. Okay. You know, the Afro-Caribbean cuisine, you know, is definitely underrepresented. Not on every street corner. It's not on every street corner. Yeah. And if... There is one on every street corner. It's really always associated with like a mom and a pop shop or a hole in the wall, quote unquote. So I think a restaurant like this means a lot to our to the restaurant culture in general, but to a specific group of people that haven't been able to um, experience something like this.
0: I want to talk about food in a more broader context for a second,
1: uh, and not always uh,
0: universally beneficial or positive because dorothy you write in your book trailblazer which we spent the entire first episode discussing that in your life as you dealt with the stresses of being the first african-american woman at the washington post the stresses of being a journalist the stresses of segregation or seeing that change that food became complicated for you in certain respects food can be complicated for lots of people talk to my audience a little bit about that
2: well at one point i uh found that I was um, almost a sugarholic, you know, that uh, I I was using um, sugar uh, to to help, you know, calm stress Mm -hmm. to, you know, to do all kinds of uh, things that wasn't supposed to do. For example, uh, sometimes before I would go home uh, after a hard day at the office, uh, I would stop and have some ice cream, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) and before I'd go home and have dinner. Uh, Just, uh, you know, really clearly. uh, Instead of stopping at the bar, you'd stop and get some ice cream. And then the the stress, and and I knew it was all stress related. Uh, Sometimes I can remember, and I'm not proud of it, Mm -hmm. but uh, when the stress just built up to here, I would go to a movie, Mm -hmm. and then I would buy candy bars, Mm -hmm. you know, as I watched the movie. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, now I do not eat sugar or flour, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, but I had to really join a fellowship in order to, uh, you know, to really uh, deal with the spiritual, emotional, and physical issues that were involved Mm -hmm. in that kind of activity.
0: And Kwame, it's my impression, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the restaurant industry, there is either an awareness or a sensitivity that I didn't perceive maybe 10 years ago about all these various issues, whether it's allergies or just preferences and the way you present food and the way food is brought to us has a way of affecting our health, our, our outlook and all mm-hmm. sorts of things. Is that true?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sugar is the most addictive substance on, on the face of the earth. Yes. So it's no. Um, it's not surprising to hear you say that you enjoy ice cream on your, on your way home. I'm pretty sure a lot of Americans do. Um, but you have to be conscious of what you eat and you need to make the right decisions, especially if it's affecting your health. And in the restaurant industry, we have had to adapt to the average consumer becoming more educated um, with themselves and also with the things that they're putting in their body. So, Because you get that feedback as a restaurateur. Yeah, and we, we have a lot of aversions. You know, people come in, they'll have an orchard fruit allergy or a nightshade allergy or an allium oh, allergy, nightshade, things that... Grow uh, in the dark. Okay. Yeah. Really. Yes. Okay, that's a new one for me. Yes. I learn um, every day. Yeah, or an allium allergy, like every, every everything that's in the onion family. So it's like you have to be able to adapt um, and not just take something out of the piece of the puzzle, like recreate a new puzzle for them. So they feel Ah. that they have a dish. So it's
0: not just when you're back there working on it, oh, we'll take that out. You've got to recreate something.
1: Yeah, If I'm doing a vegan dish, it has to be something that's just as well thought of as a dish that has, you know, that's protein based. So it's involved, you know, it's a lot more involved than it used to be, but it challenges us to become better.
0: And, um... I've heard people say in the restaurant business to th- people who love food, think they're good cooks, and say to themselves, "I'd like to open up a restaurant." Yeah, don't they do say that. no.
1: Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't do not do that. Why? Because it's a lot harder than it looks. You know, it it takes a lot of dedication in order to make a restaurant successful. Because
0: um, it's it is the food is obviously crucial, but there's so much else.
1: Yeah, you know, the food is the easy part. You know, getting it consistent—that's tough. But also, you're dealing with people right. every day. You know, and, and that's—I uh, think—that's the hardest part people of every business. People you serve business. and people you work with. Exactly. That's the hardest part of every every business. You know, dealing with your staff or dealing with customers. So, um, you have to really be in it to—you have to be in it for the long haul. But you have to be in it for the right reasons. And you've got to be willing to work crazy hours.
0: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, eighteen. 18- oh yeah. Because, Easily. It, because it never ends. No, it doesn't. The questions and the things that need to get answered in a successful restaurant literally never end. Mm-mm.
1: You're constantly working and constantly um, competing against yourself in a way. So you can just get better every single day. Now, Dorothy, you've been yeah, I Washington. had a question. Yeah, I yeah. Want
2: to, are there any special challenges you faced as an African-American uh, male?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know... I was constantly the only person of color in, in many kitchens that I've worked in, um, which it was it was tough, you know, and, you know, working within kitchens, it's, it's glamorized on television where, you know, the chef is shouty and screaming and things like that. And that still does happen in some kitchens. Um, but there's a lot that can be masked under the, oh, this is just how the chef is. Um, and you can s- slide in there some ra- racial... Um, undertones or gender inequality um, under that uh, hazing, that ritual, you know, ritualistic hazing that normally happens in a kitchen. So, yeah, I've faced a lot of challenges outwardly, um, but I would say the the hardest ones were the ones that weren't spoken, you know, being passed over, being looked over time and time again, Um, the jokes that I didn't ask for, you know, that you have to Chuckle at, or else you know you're out of the club, and it's so yeah, uh, it, it's challenging. Jokes it's still, racial is, velocity yeah, it. exactly. It's challenging. It still is. You know, um, I think it's getting better, but we still have a long way to go.
0: Dorothy, you've lived in Washington many, many years, as I have. I want to get your impressions of how the food scene has changed and evolved in this community. It feels to me much more like New York than it did when I first moved here in the early 1990s. That is to say, variety, diversity, inclusion, and just a, a greater set of really good people making great, great food.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that's missing uh, are you know similar uh, kinds of restaurants as you have started here. Uh, when they asked me where I would like to come, I said I'd like to come to Kith and Ken because I had heard about you and I'd heard about you know what you're doing here and i've had just so many positive um uh, remarks from people well, thank you. who said they've come and enjoyed it um but um
0: and dorothy it, that might be an example we just played out of me not uh, having the same perspective as you do mm-hmm. i say this has become a much more diverse and you say no not ne- not nearly enough mm-hmm. that's because our different perspectives yeah, our diversity different life experience
1: diversity is relative yeah you know as as a,
0: as as a white male, it feels different to me than it does to you. To me, it feels a lot, and to you, it feels not quite,
2: not nearly enough. Right, it feels like that's exactly what we were enough. just talking exactly. about. Exactly, and that's the that's the kind of way it's going to be necessary for everybody to, you know, stretch their minds mm-hmm. going forward because America is in the middle of some some really difficult times. Absolutely, for many t- people, it's a very frightening time, uh, and. Uh, uh, when when you, know, you say
0: frightening, what do you mean?
2: I'm, I'm, well, I think when you have, uh, you know, from the White House, people who are saying that the media is the enemy of the people, you know, from the highest levels of land, uh, you know, when you hear the leader of the nation uh, say what we do every day is fake news, you know, you're getting all kinds of messages that are going out to the public. And, uh, and we know that, and one of the reasons I was glad I, the book came out when it did, I didn't plan it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, t- when, you, when you're uh, talking about uh, enemy of the people and fake news, and, uh, and I wanted to tell about, you know, how much training I had at Columbia University, what I had to go through in order to get to where I was. Uh, there, this was not fake news. This was not, you know, I'm not the enemy of the people. You know, I'm one of those people who are trying to say what, basically what the Post says, that democracy dies in darkness. Mm-hmm. And it's the journalists who, take, uh, who, who help to take away the darkness. And if we don't have that happening, and if we don't have a variety of that, and if we don't have the representation of the diversity uh, in America... Uh, then you're going to continue to have a very serious situation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know what's ahead, but it just seems to me that when I people I've talked to who are extraordinarily mature, extraordinarily learned, there is an anxiety in the air that has, uh, that it, that has to be addressed because it's deep. Kwame, any thoughts about that?
1: I totally agree. Um, th- the diversity that you're talking about within the media or just in America in general makes America America. And if the further we get away from that, the further we get away from everything we've fought for to get to this point. Mm -hmm. How is it that you got into cooking? Mm -hmm. My mother. My mother's a chef. Uh, She had a catering company that she ran out of the Mm -hmm. house. We grew up in the Bronx in a one bedroom apartment and uh, Mm -hmm. me and my sister became her first two employees. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was about five years old. My sister was ten, and we helped with everything, and that's how I really got got into mm-hmm. cooking. Mm-hmm. Good story. Yeah. It wasn't a straight line, though. No, it was not a straight line. There, um, there were some
0: twists and turns in high school absolutely.
1: and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was tough, you know, growing up in the South Bronx. You know, so tough. In fact, that my mother sent me to Nigeria to live for two years in order to teach me respect and to uh, help me appreciate the things that I have here. How, what was that experience like, going from the South Bronx to Nigeria? It was polarizing. <laughs> you go from playing PlayStation to do your homework by Kerosene Lamp, you know? <laughs> it, was, it was a huge culture shock in every sense of the word. Um, I grew up, you know, knowing about my culture and my history. My grandfather taught at Howard University. He taught Afro, um, African-American studies and anthropology. He was huge in the Pan-African movement. Um, so I, I knew about where I came from, but to be there, it's totally different.
2: Well, you know, my very first trip abroad was to Africa. Back like yeah. in 1960. You go? 1961. Well, the first place we landed was Nigeria. Yeah. Uh, it was very different Nigeria at that point. But my destination was Kenya. Okay. And uh, I, Kenya was still under colonial rule at that time. So um, we had a, uh, you know, my experience uh, in Kenya was very different from Nigeria. Nigeria mm-hmm. felt... Uh, it was newly independent, and mm-hmm. you know it felt hopeful. And um, Kenya was, uh, you know, still, uh, I guess, praying and hoping for the release of, um, you know, some of their leaders mm-hmm. who were still in jail. Mm-hmm.
0: It's been a great pleasure to be with both of you. When you were on Trevor Noah, he said, I could talk to you for hours. I agree. I got to spend an hour with you. I feel privileged and <laughs> well, blessed to I be able to do that. Well, I
2: feel privileged as well. You're a great
0: reporter. <laughs> it's been great to have you. Kwame, thank you so much for this experience Thank here. you. All the best of luck to you. Thanks for joining us. And uh, notes from a young black chef. That is Kwame on Onwache's book. That's Trailblazer is Dorothy Butler-Gilliams' book. We love to talk about books and life experiences here, restaurants, food, the whole thing. That's what the show is about in part. I'm Major Garrett. Thanks for joining us. New episodes of The Takeout are available Friday mornings, wherever you get your podcasts. The Takeout is produced by Arden Farid, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, and Ellie Watson. CBSN production by Eric Susanen and Grace Seegers. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, visit TakeoutPodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News Radio.